Well, the Lord is so faithful. Uh, For those of us who are believers, we know that. We don't have to doubt that. We've experienced that all of our life. Uh, Y'all hear me okay? Okay. Good. Thank you, Gary. You got me taken care of, brother. Uh, The... uh, God has has been so faithful to me that I hate to say what I'm about to say. There are times in life that I've had it. Do you ever get there? Even though the Lord has been with you and He's so faithful, there are those times in your life where you have it up to here with what's going on. You have it up up to here with your job and the responsibilities at work. Or maybe, maybe it's... It's home life. You try and you try and you try, but yet, whew, it's just tough. Or maybe it's your responsibilities at church. You know, they keep asking me to do more. Or, or maybe it is, it, it, it is just, just the circumstances you're going through and, and you've just had it. You ever get to the place where you feel like tossing in the towel? You'd like to just say, I, I'm going to walk out. I'm going to take like a four-year vacation and, and I'm just going to, I'm going to leave all this stuff behind. You know, every person, please hear this, every person, regardless of disposition or position, gets there. Where, where they get to a moment where, where life is overwhelming and they experience intense discouragement. Uh, when you do, you lose enthusiasm for what what, what you're supposed to do. You, you have this sense of despair about the future. No matter what happens, it's going to snow and rain every Sunday from now until Jesus comes. You know, you have those type of moments. You suffer from low self-esteem. Uh, when we're discouraged, we're vulnerable to make poor judgments. When you're discouraged, uh, maybe most seriously, we find ourselves vulnerable to drift away from God. I guess this morning, starting this message, I would want to say to you that our faith in Jesus does not insulate us from hardship. Hardships seem to be a common denominator in discouragement. And and our faith does not keep us uh, from that. We know this. Life experience tells us this. But so many are deceived. They they believe that if you trust God and you accept Jesus, then then your life automatically gets better. Your 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 wife's always happy with you. You your your car always runs, or you get a new one at no cost. You have more money, better health, bigger office. The prosperity success gospel that has been proclaimed for the last few uh, decades is an empty gospel. It promises everything, but it always disappoints. The enemy would love for you to settle for that gospel because that gospel will not hold up when the storms of life pour down on you. The enemy would, would, would love for you to buy into another religious trick to deceive you so that you will trust in something besides the presence of the power of God through the Holy Spirit in your life. People put hope in broken systems and therefore they blame God. But our hope is not in the fact that our life is never hard. That is not Christian faith. That is not the Christian hope. Our hope is in the fact that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He never lets us go. He is always with us. He always stands beside us. And because Jesus has proven faithful and 
And listen, I'm not blowing smoke when I say since I've been 12 years old, he's proven faithful. He has proven faithful. Anytime that I've gone into that discouragement pit, it's not because Jesus moved, it's because I moved. And he is so gracious and loving that he has gone down in after me time and time again, and he has never left me. He has never forsaken me. He has always been faithful. And because he's faithful, that makes me want to be faithful. I want to love him, not because I'm trying to earn his love, I want to love him because he's proven his love. Over and over, he has proven faithful. And that's why the Bible tells us, don't get tired of doing good. Don't don't get discouraged of doing what's right. In time, the Lord will fix all wrongs. He will make all things that are, are crooked straight. He'll smooth out the rough. But until then, we hold on because we know he is the rewarder of those who trust him and love him. When we become discouraged, it's essential for us not to give in to the enemy. It's essential for us to hang on to our faith in Christ because in the end, our work for Christ and our testimony for Him is is really all that matters in this life. Maybe that's why I'm so drawn to, to the story of Joseph. Joseph's life has served for an inspiration for so many. And today we're going to look at Uh, Joseph was incredibly faithful when everybody else would have given up. I'm going to real quickly catch you up on Joseph's story. You talk about a guy who could have said, I've had it up to here with life. It was Joseph. He was hated by his brothers. He was thrown in a pit. He was sold into slavery. He didn't deserve that. You know, he was innocent, just an innocent 17-year-old, but, but he refused to get bitter. No, he didn't get what he deserved, but he, he didn't get bitter. And even though he was sold into slavery into, in Egypt, he worked hard. He determines, I'm going to be the best slave I can be. His master, Potiphar, noticed his diligence, and, and he soon was promoted. Uh, just when things start looking up, Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him. He resists her, as we talked about last week. He works hard to avoid her. But one day she catches him alone. She tries to seduce him. And and when Joseph refuses, he runs out of the house, leaving his cloak behind. And she falsely accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. (laughs) Have any of y'all ever been falsely accused? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I have. And there's nothing more difficult in life than being falsely accused. Well, maybe there is one more thing, one thing more difficult than being falsely accused. It's being convicted of being falsely accused. (laughs) I mean, if you've ever been accused of something you didn't do, they said you stole something, they said that you, you broke a promise, they said that you hurt someone, they said that you lied to someone. If you've ever been falsely accused, that hurts. But it doesn't hurt anything like being thrown in jail because of it. Well, here's Joseph, who's been falsely accused, and and, and and no fault of his own. He's in a dungeon, no window, no facilities, no possible escape. The psalmist talks about Joseph's life in Psalm 105, verse 18. He says, they hurt his feet with shackles. His neck was put in a collar. You couldn't expect to get much lower in life. Now, what would you expect Joseph's reaction to be? 
I mean, what, what, you, what would you expect him to do? Maybe, maybe to get bitter toward God? This is the way you reward the righteous? I've been trying all my life. What about those dreams, God, that you gave me when I was younger? How does this tie into those dreams? Maybe you'd expect Joseph to withdraw from people. You know, while he's there in the dungeon, he obviously is in there with other people, and you would expect him to just go off into a corner and die, and he's not going to open up to anybody else. You know, hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. I'm not going to allow this to happen anymore. Maybe you would expect him to have this sour disposition. Most people who, who go through just little stuff get angry. If you go through what Joseph goes through, you would expect somebody to get angry at the world. You know, if you visit him in prison, you would expect a fallen countenance. You would expect a defeated spirit. Maybe a normal person would tr- turn to drugs or alcohol, defiant behavior, suicide. He could have just quit. He could have said, I, I, no more, I'm done. But he didn't. Uh, instead, he stayed faithful to God and he persevered through discouragement. And there is evidence that Joseph did remain faithful. In fact, there's lots of evidence that he did. Uh, and we're going to look at some of that today. Chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. When he's in Potiphar's house, he was doing well. He was incredibly successful. And and God put, uh, Potiphar put him in charge uh, of all he had. Verse 6, he left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He didn't even concern himself with it. You know, he, he, he trusted Joseph, but now he's in prison. Verse 11, uh, 21, excuse me, of Genesis 39. It says, but even in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. He extended kindness to him. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were uh, in the prison under Joseph's charge. And he was responsible for, that, for everything that was done there. Verse 23, the warden didn't worry about anything. If, it's, if Joseph's got it, he's got it. Because the Lord was with him, the Lord made everything he did successful you know his reputation for being a good manager had preceded him and and in prison the chief jailer took advantage of joseph's skills uh but here's what joseph gets i've been faithful and now i get more work that's kind of how it goes usually isn't it (laughs) if you're faithful well joseph was faithful and he did get more work and he could have laid down and said i'm not doing anything for anybody You know, I work for my dad, and you see what that got me? I work for Potiphar, and you see what that got me? I'm not doing this anymore. But he continued to carry a sense of responsibility with him no matter what he went through. Why? He was a Hebrew. He was a child of the living God. He realized that people looked at him and they saw God, and that's why we also should be so faithful in our work because when people look at us, we represent Christ. That's why the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, in whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Joseph accepts this, this responsibility, and, and, and he, he lives by this motto that, that whatever you do, I'm going to do it for God. He was also sensitive to the needs of others. Uh, uh, The story picks up in Genesis 40, and if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Genesis 40 for quite a while. Verse 1, After this, the Egyptian king's cupbearer and the baker offended their master, the the king of Egypt. Uh, The the baker was simply the king's chef. The cupbearer was his wine uh, taster. 
and almost every king of this time had both of these positions. And they had these positions not out of luxury, they had them out of security. We think of having a baker and a wine taster as, man, that's over-the-top uh, you know, elegance. No, 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 no. They had them there to, to make sure that no one tried to, to take their position. Uh, the, the wine taster would uh, uh, taste wine uh, uh, before the king would drink it. The, 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 the baker would uh, be responsible for the food and would taste of the food before the king would eat it. And both of them uh, were done to make sure that the king didn't die. You know, if the wine tester can live through it, I can too. If the baker can live through it, I can as well. Wasn't a glamorous job, not really a secure job. Uh, but you were close to the king, and you were, you were confident that he trusted you. Uh, for some reason, Pharaoh put both the chief uh, uh, wine taster and his head chef in prison. Uh, verse 2, Pharaoh was angry with his two officers. And, and, and the Bible says that, that they get thrown in prison. Uh, uh, they, he, they put them in the prison that Joseph's in. Now, I'm not sure why uh, Pharaoh got mad. Maybe he got mad because there was an assassination attempt that almost worked. Maybe he got mad because they tried to put him on a strict diet. I don't know. But either way, he's ticked off. And he throws them into prison. And, and, and when they're there, they just so happen to meet Joseph. Guys, we live in a world where everybody says, well, it just so happened. I believe in a God who is sovereign over all things. And when, when people and circumstances intersect our lives, it does not surprise God. He uses all things for the good of those who love him and, and for those who are called according to his purposes. Verse 4, the captain of the guard assigned Joseph to them and he, he became their personal attendant and they were in custody for some time. And while they're there, verse 5 tells us the, 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 they each had a dream, the, the baker and the cupbearer. They both have a dream and and they have it on the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. Two dreams, two meanings. Two people, two dreams, two meanings. Now, before we go any farther, I want to say dreams are experienced a lot in the Bible, um, where God communicates through those dreams. And these were not ordinary dreams. They, they were visions so vivid that recipients had them etched in their memory. They were so extraordinary that they knew they were supernatural. I guess the reason I want to point that out is is don't try to interpret every crazy dream as some message from God. Sometimes it might be. Sometimes it might be Taco Bell. And call it what it is. You know. But this was a dream from God. Verse 6. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. Verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with them, what gives? Why are you so downcast today? Why are you so sad? I mean, isn't this impressive? I mean, think about Joseph. If anybody had the right to be sad, it was Joseph. His life has gone from favorite of the father, favorite of, uh, of Potiphar, now to, to just uh, favorite of the dungeon. That's a pretty steep decline. 
And yet he did not allow his difficulties to overwhelm his spirit. He has such a positive nature. Here he is, 28, unfairly imprisoned. He's gotten the shaft and he says, Hey guys, why are you so down in the dumps today? He's sensitive to the hurts of other people. You'd expect him to be having a pity party. Hey, don't trouble me with your problems. I got problems. Let me tell you about them. But his awareness of others is obvious and is, and is another evidence of how faithful he is. I believe we see his faithfulness in the fact that he keeps faith in God. He, he trusts in God. Verse 8, he says, They say to him, We had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph says to them, Don't, don't gloss over this. Interpretations belong to God. If there was anybody who could say God doesn't exist, it's Joseph. But he says, no, no, no. Interpretations belong to God. And so he asked them to tell him his, his dream. And notice he didn't say, I can interpret it. He didn't say, hey, give me a shot. He said, God can. No one can interpret this unless God gives it. In his abuse, in his betrayal, in his slavery, even in his imprisonment, he maintained uh, uh, the belief that, that God is faithful. And this alone is evidence that Joseph was faithful in discouragement. You know, there's more though. When you're in a bad situation, it's so easy for you to let your values slip. But Joseph maintains his integrity even while he's in jail. God gives uh, him the interpretation of the wine taster's dream, and it's good. Verse 13, Joseph says, uh, or In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, and he will restore your position. You'll, you'll, put, uh, you'll put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. I mean, that's a, that's a positive interpretation. The... the the baker hadn't yet said, hey, would you interpret mine? Uh, I personally think the baker was the one who had tried to harm Pharaoh. Um, but when he sees the cupbearer's interpretation's okay, he gives it a shot. And he asks Joseph to interpret his dream. But Joseph, uh, uh, well, let's read verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was positive, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. There were three baskets of white bread uh, were, were on my head. In the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Uh, this is the interpretation, Joseph says. The three baskets are three days. And then listen to verse 19. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head uh, from off of you, and he'll hang you on a tree. And the birds will come and eat the flesh from your body. You know, not a great dream. But it reveals a lot about Joseph. I mean, think about this. You know, he was honest with the baker. You know, Joseph instantly knew what the dream meant. And he could have said, man, that's a tough one. I'm going to have to get back with you in about three days. Right? But instead, he's, he's honest with him. Joseph told him the truth. Uh, most impressively, I think about Joseph that proves his faithfulness is that he refused to lose hope. Verse, verse 20. The scripture says, On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all his servants. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief 
baker. He, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position as, as cupbearer. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had explained to them. Verse 23 says, And yet the chief cupbearer didn't remember Joseph. He forgot him. Talk about a punch in the stomach. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to remember an offense against us? I can tell you what people said about me when I was in eighth grade. I can. I wish I couldn't. But I can. I can remember wrongs that have happened from from years back. But it's so hard sometimes to remember those gestures of kindness. Here the cupbearer completely forgets Joseph. Chapter 41. And for two years he forgot. Two long years. That'd break most of us. You'd think this would be the end. But in spite of all the reasons for discouragement, Joseph held on. Uh, uh, Apparently, I, I, I believe he was walking in close enough fellowship with God that he could feel God's hand and the fact that God was with him. Paul Harvey once said, a successful person is the person who gets back up one more time than they've fallen down. Joseph is a successful person. He could have laid down and said, I'm not doing anything for anyone ever again. He's truly a hard luck story, but his difficult life does not overcome him. And by the way, his difficult life is not what sets him apart. I mean, this would make a really, you know, good Netflix series, you know? Joseph's life is chaos. But it's not his difficult life that sets him apart. What sets Joseph apart is that he's faithful in spite of what comes his way. What about us? Do we have unwavering faith? Do we trust the one who's never let us down? How do you you overcome discouragement? Well, I think one is you keep doing what you know is right. You want to overcome discouragement? You keep doing what you know is good and just and right. Joseph fulfilled his assignments to the best of his ability, even though it wasn't a happy time in his life, and even though he didn't understand why things were happening the way they were. When we get discouraged, there's a temptation to pull back, to call in sick, to not show up, to go in late, to do a sloppy job, to stay in bed, to go golfing instead of doing the right thing. But guys, these actions compound the problem because the next day we feel more guilty and more discouraged. When you're discouraged, you need to force yourself to go through the motions of doing what's right, even when you don't feel like it. Look, I'm going to confess something to you today. I debated on this, but I'm going to confess to you. Sometimes I don't want to come to church. I, I, I know you don't believe that. I, 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 I'm sure none of y'all ever feel that way. I'm sure when it's snowing, I'm sure next Sunday when time changes and it's dark and rainy next Sunday and you don't want to come, I'm sure there's going to be some of you here who might struggle with, man, I don't want to go next Sunday. 
You know, I wake up and it's rainy or it's a holiday or it's spring break or it's fall break or it's 4th of July or Memorial Day or the week after Thanksgiving or the week after, you get the picture. I wake up on one of those days and I think, man, I hardly ever miss. I'm just going to pull the covers up over my head and I'm going to call Joe Delp or Mike James and I'm going to tell them, how do you do with impromptu sermons? You know, good luck, buddy. (coughs) I'm sick, you know. But I don't do that because I realize something. Jesus is my Lord whether I feel like it or not. And so even though sometimes I'm a little discouraged and I don't feel like coming, I go ahead and I come to church because the Bible commands me to. It commands me not to forsake the assembling of myself with other brothers and sisters. And i got to be honest, on some days I show up, I don't feel like smiling at you. I don't feel like shaking hands. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like preaching. There's some days I'd like to get up here and just look at you the way you look at me. But, But on those days, I force myself to smile because the Bible says be kind to one another. And be gracious to one another. And I go ahead and sing because the Bible says to sing and make melody in your heart. I, I, I go ahead and I preach the Bible because the Bible says you're supposed to preach in season and out of season. And it never fails. When I do, before long, my spirit starts speak, picking up. Somebody says something that encourages me or a song really gets to me. Or I say something in my own sermon that impresses me. Something. And I begin... And I begin to feel better. Guys, if you act the way you wish you felt, you'll eventually feel the way you act. So don't allow yourself to be controlled by temporary feelings. Feelings you can't control, but behavior you can. Let me remind you of that. Feelings you cannot control, but behavior God has put that under your authority. How you behave, how you obey, he's given that to you. So do it well, whatever you do, in word or deed. Do it all for the glory of the Lord. Attitude can change, and Joseph's did. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the written Bible. He was in prison and had no fellowship, but God continues to lift up his head and his countenance. And if Joseph, who doesn't have the Bible, and Joseph, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, and Joseph, who doesn't understand the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin, that that secures our position with God forever, if he didn't have that and he could lift up his eyes to the hills from whence comes his health, surely those of us who are saved believers in Jesus Christ can. We should keep doing what is right. And then I would encourage you, if you want to be faithful when you're discouraged, be aware of the needs of others. The best way to overcome discouragement is to minister to somebody else. We think we need somebody to pity us. We think we need somebody to nurse us. I'm not in any shape to help anybody. I I need somebody helping me. But it's incredible how soon you begin to feel better if you get your mind off your own problems and start focusing on someone else. Are you a little discouraged today? 
Let me ask you something. Do you want to get better? I, Jesus asked that question one time, and when you read it, it almost seems insensitive in the New Testament. A man came to him begging for healing, and Jesus said, Do you want to get well? Because a lot of people would rather just wallow in their self-pity. Do you, do you want to overcome discouragement? If you really want to get better, look for somebody to encourage. Do the right thing. Quit feeling sorry for yourself and trust that God is faithful. A lot of people in the midst of discouragement turn away from God's help. They blame God for what has happened. They get bitter. I just want to ask you, if you've ever been down the bitterness road, did it help? If you've ever been down that road where you allowed yourself to allow everything that has happened to you to change your disposition, to change your outlook on the world, to change the way you respond to other people, did you let yourself get bitter? Did it help? It's a dead-end road, guys. It's always been a dead-end road. Joseph turns to God for wisdom and direction. And Pharaoh hears that Joseph has been able to interpret James. And so he says to Joseph, I had this dream, but nobody can interpret it. I've heard you can do it. And I love what he says. I can't. But God can. I'm not able, but God is able. And he will give Pharaoh the right answer. The four most important words to get through discouragement is I cannot do it. Coupled with the next two words, God can. I cannot do it. God can. There may be some folks here this morning who are just hanging on and you've had it up to here. And the only real answer to disappointment, discouragement, emptiness, hopelessness, whatever, I can't. God can. Until you come to a place of surrender, your life will continue to be turned upside down. And you'll never know who you are, why you're here, what your response is supposed to be until you surrender your life to God through Jesus Christ. But when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, we can be faithful and we can get through it and we can hang on. Why? Because we have a picture of the one who was completely faithful. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 verse 2 that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus who is the source and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him, he, he endured, the endured the cross and, and the despise and the shame that came with it, and he has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. And then the next verse says, Consider him. Think about him. Put your eyes on the cross. Think about what Jesus has done. He, he endured hostility from sinners against himself. He was completely innocent of all charges brought against him, and yet he was faithful. So consider him so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. I want to close by talking to you about a question that was posed to me a few months ago. I was talking about my trust in Jesus. 
I was talking with someone that I had a random meeting with at, a, at an airport. And, you know, I tried to use that opportunity to share my faith. And, and, and as I talked to them about how much Jesus had done for me, they said, why do you have trust in Jesus? That's a legitimate question. They weren't trying to be cynical. They just didn't understand. My trust is not because my life has gone exactly according to my plan. My trust is not because my future life is going to always be great. My trust is what I see in the rearview mirror. In the rearview mirror of my life, I see a man hanging on the cross for me. Someone who died so that I could live. Someone who promised me that even if he were to leave after he rose from the dead, he would come back and he would take me to where he is. That's why I trust him. He gave his life for me. And that's why in the storm I have peace. If he didn't spare his life in the midst of discouragement, I know he's not going to let me go. And never once has he. Not one time. So I would encourage you this morning, consider the example of Christ. He was faithful even to death. May we be as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and the opportunity to preach it this morning. Lord God, there's not anything in me worthy of standing here except the fact that Christ Jesus has saved me. He has placed his, your spirit within me, Lord. And Father God, through your power and your presence with me, you enable me to do what you've called me to do. And today that is preach. I don't know what tomorrow holds, Lord, but whatever you call me to do tomorrow... Lord, whatever difficulties I go through, God, I know you will be with me. You're faithful, God. May I be faithful to love you back. Lord God, speak to us now at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.